0: Welcome to Brainwaves, bringing you the best in board game and tabletop gaming news. My name is Jamie Adams.
1: And I'm Ian McAllister. And I've been out in the Brainwaves garden recently, and there's been a lot of uh, kerfuffle, noises, sounds of sports, (laughs) odd sort of little sort of wet slapping sounds as tiny gnomes fight (laughs) in little arenas. And I think that's all the fault of Robbie Munn. What do you have to say for yourself, Robbie?
2: Um, uh, you're welcome.
1: (laughs) I mean, they're very, very disruptive to the rest of the Bray Waves garden. It's very, very... I mean, the dogs get very scared of them.
0: Ian, let's not lie here. You've been running bets in the garden, so don't start complaining to Robbie.
1: I would never, ever run an illegal betting thing at all, Jamie. You you know that. By the way, you owe me 20 quid.
0: (sighs) Hi, Robbie. Welcome to the podcast. Hi.
1: Well... Yeah, at least, yeah, you, you should do a little bit on the podcast thing to pay for this nonsense <laughs> that's going out in the back of the Brainwaves scars. How, how are you, Robbie, and what have you been up to recently?
2: Um, very well. I've just been, uh, I suppose the last few weeks, I've just been working hard on trying to get this uh, Kickstarter ready for Sumo Names. It's, uh, there's a, for a small game, there's a lot of things to juggle. I don't know if I'm trying to do too much for this one, but um, it's I'm quite excited for it.
1: Yeah, well, it's fantastic. I've recently reviewed it on the site, and that will be up on There Will Be Games next week as well. Great little game. Jamie and I played it down at uh, Games Expo as well.
0: And we did. It, I believe it was our first game that we played for UKGE.
1: Yeah, it was. It was. On that lovely gigantic wooden stump that you had uh, of the sort of giant version.
2: Yeah, I'm it. trying very hard to make that a real thing.
1: Oh, that'd be amazing. Uh, so, you talking
2: to a company in Hungary called Laserux? And uh, they make lots of inserts for games, and they're really keen to be a part of this. So yeah, I've been having lots of Skype chats with them, uh, trying to make a, a super deluxe version.
1: Cool. How's Summoner's Isles doing these days? I was your gaming that you released last year.
2: It's been doing well. It's um, it's been getting some nice reviews across the board. It's nice to see it on for sale in various different shops around London and all over the place. It's, Great. um Yeah, I'm very happy with how it's gone.
1: Fantastic. Well, welcome to the cast, and we'll have you on for chatting about some news articles down the way.
0: Looking forward to it. These are the headlines for the week of the 19th of August, 2019. The bell tolls for Unbroken. Awards keep on coming for the Ennies. And the stars are right for the Diana Jones Award. All this and more on this episode of Brainwaves.
1: And as is common... On Brainwaves, we're starting off with some odd Kickstarter news this week. It seems that the Unbroken Kickstarter, this was a Kickstarter that launched last year from Artem Savarov of Altema Games in conjunction with a group called Golden Bell Studios who were doing a lot of the fulfilment and distribution. They were announced as the co-creator quite late in the Kickstarter campaign. This is a solo game, solo sort of dungeon adventure game, and everyone was very excited about it and it did pretty well on Kickstarter. What seems has happened is after the campaign is finished, Unbroken announced, uh, sorry, the campaign announced a miscalculation of the shipping costs, and two requests were made to donate more money to cover the missing costs. First from Golden Bell, which was seen as rather impolite by a lot of the Kickstarter backers. Golden Bell were quite um, aggressive in their tone towards Kickstarter backers. And then from the designer Artem, which was seen as a bit more polite by the community, as backers have asked for clarification, Golden Bell and Artem have made replies. The sort of responsibility for the shipping error seems to have gone back and forth between Artem and Golden Bell. And in response to growing queries and concern from backers regarding delivery, Golden Bell have allegedly began threatening backers with lawsuits, refusing ro- refunds, doxing, which is the revealing or publishing of private information about an individual on the internet, so their home address, where they work, that kind of thing, uh, to name but a few. And I've, we've also heard rumors that they have actually phoned certain backers who have been particularly vocal and basically threatened them with legal legal action. There are more stories coming out all the time about Golden Bell's attitude towards the backers. And Golden Bell have been so aggressive on Board Game Geek that they've actually been banned for their antagonism. Which is, yeah, I've never heard of such a big sort of name being banned on Board Game Geek. You've got to really do something to have that happen. This is just, I'm kind of speechless, really. Like, the attitude of Golden Bell seems to be absolutely horrible and antagonistic. I kind of feel sorry for the original creator, Artem Savarov, who seems to have gotten caught up in a lot of this. Like, Golden Bell seemed to have stepped in late to sort of help him out in inverted commas. I realize I'm
0: inverted commas on a podcast. Ian, master of Radio McAllister.
1: Yeah, I, (laughs) I know exactly how this works. And, yeah, it, 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 he seems caught up in all this and can't really seem to get out. Have you ever been approached by a company like Golden Bell, Robbie, for any of your Kickstarters?
2: No, no, I'm very uh, fortunate as well uh, by the looks of it. It's, mm. um, yeah, I feel really sorry for Adam as well. It's, it seems like the Kickstarter did really well. Everything was going, everything was going his way. And then I suppose if a company like Golden Bell comes along and says, we'll sort out we were distribution for you. We're an established company. You think, yeah, this is brilliant.
1: Yeah, it sounds great, doesn't it? But yeah.
2: uh and and he kind of looks like he can't back out now. The Golden Bear was so tied in to the uh unbroken game that there's no way of him to go, do you know what, you're fine, I can do this by myself. Because um yeah, this is giving him a really bad name as well now.
1: Yeah, I mean I think I'm not hundred percent sure, but I think the game was for sale at Gencom, from what I've seen. I've seen a few sort of comments on the Kickstarter thread and on BoardGameGeek as well. And although I kind of understand companies like taking stuff to like Gencon or Esno or ever before backers get it, that does happen sometimes just the way distribution works out or whatever, and they need to make money at some point as long as the backers are informed but that on top of all this other stuff just that's really got to be a better pill to swallow for all the backers. who knows how it'll work. I hope everyone gets their games in the end but
2: yeah, the, yeah, you imagine what sort of damage must be done to the companies now.
1: Yeah, and, and Arm as well to be tied up in this. Like, mm. If he comes around with a different game at some point in the future, which I, I hope he does, but there's got to be a lot of... Yeah, he's tied up in a horrible situation now.
2: I think the first sort of game I remember like this was um, the uh, Aliens vs. Predator. The products. Oh yeah, oh, yes. they did a similar thing. They took a load against UK Games Expo, pretend you can come collect your games, and then sold them all on the first day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, we've. It's just a reminder, folks, that we've covered numerous sort of Kickstarter fiascos and some outright actual fraud. I don't think there's fraud in this case, but just sort of incompetence more than anything. But yeah, yeah, just a reminder that all kickstars are to be approached with a degree of caution.
0: Well, it seems I have two more pieces of news regarding awards for you all. I know you so dearly love to hear about awards season and how it rumbles on and on and on. We might be coming to the end of it right now. Um, We have the announcement of the Ennies, the Gen Con RPG Awards, or the Ennies, awarded at, surprisingly enough, Gen Con this year. Once the shortlist for the Ennies has been put out online, it's voted for online by the public. And every category has a gold and silver award. Now, I'm not going to go through all the different categories as, quite frankly, I'm afraid we don't have time on this podcast. But I will make a particular mention that Chaosium, the company responsible famously for the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game, had a bumper uh, bumper year. They took home a ton of awards, including gold for Best Adventure, Best Cover Art, Best Interior Art, and Best Rules – as well as the fans' choice of Best Publisher award. And it's worth noting that basically
1: other Lovecraftian-inspired games have also done well, like Product of the Year was the Masks of Narlathotep gamer prop set up by the HP Lovecraft Historical Society. There's a couple of other awards in there that are going to Mythos-inspired games, definitely. The only thing that really stands out for me in there is that Waffrup actually picked up an award, which is nice. They picked up the WuffRup 4th Edition Core, picked up the award for Best Writing, which is nice to see. Very
0: nice. Very nice indeed. So yes, that was the ENNIS, and congratulations to all the winners. Uh, yes, and I'll move on to a little bit of an update from our last podcast. Last podcast we talked about the nominees for the Diana Jones Award. The Nobel Prize, some people call it, of, of board gaming. The Perspex Pyramid, with the fragment of the Indiana Jones RPG in it. The night before Gen Con, the winner was announced. And the winner was Starcrossed, designed by Alex Roberts and published by Bully Pulpit Games. Who you might also know from Fiasco, the Coen Brothers-esque madcap adventure role-playing game. To quote from the publisher, Playing Starcrossed will feel like being pulled in two directions at once like when your head and heart are telling you two different things, or when what you want and what you believe in are impossible to reconcile. The game is simple, quick, and filled with delicious moments of excitement, tension, and occasional heartbreak. The game itself uses a Jenga tower for the mechanic for tests, in a similar manner to Dread from the Impossible Dream several years ago, in order to succeed at a test you simply pull a brick out of the Jenga tower. If you successfully pull it out, you succeed. If you don't, you don't want to, you fail. If you knock it over, well, let's not go into that.
1: Stuff happens.
0: Bad mm-hmm. things happen. And congratulations to Alex Roberts, Bully Pulpit Games, and Starcross itself. Uh,
1: I, I follow Alex Roberts on Twitter, and apparently they got stopped at security on the airport on the way out and they had to put the Dana jones award through the scanner three times because they weren't sure what it was (laughs) because it's an odd shaped thing with stuff in it
0: nope nobody got to understand right okay right tsr made this role-playing game (laughs) that's going
1: to be a hard explanation
0: yeah (laughs) exactly now on to more news
1: Ross O'Connell is a friend of the show, he appeared on Brainwaves 27 and he recently announced that he is going to be joining Alley Cat Games as taking up the post of Community Operations and Media Manager. Alley Cat are known for Dice Hospital, Welcome to Dino World and a personal favourite of mine, Ruthless, the pirate deck building game. Uh, Ross is no, very well known for his blog called more games please where he focuses on the art of board games he interviews artists specifically and talks about how games look and their sort of artistic presentation if you haven't checked that site out we thoroughly recommend it and congratulations to ross and kudos to Alicat games that's a great hire uh, ross is very very active on social media on twitter instagram and facebook and we look forward to having him back on the show at some point, and we'll be seeing him at Tabletop Scotland in a week's time or so. More on that soon.
0: Yes, I appear to have slipped somewhat into the role at Brainwaves of awards, financial, and legal correspondent. And I'll be It's in your contract. Apparently so. I never signed no contract. And I will be fulfilling... I've got one right here. It's got, got your name in it and everything. And I'll be fulfilling... So far I've fulfilled the awards, and I'm going to fulfill the legal part of my contractual obligation it seems were they, uh, a, were they not? a story coming to us from uh, LA County Superior Court a lawsuit has been filed against the company Legendary Geek and Sundry by a company called Media Dynamics which is a company uh, closely, closely associated with the actor Will Wheaton best known for possibly Wesley Crusher on Star Trek and the film Stand By Me The lawsuit has been brought about by Will Wheaton and Media Dynamics, uh, accusing Legendary Geek & Sundry of a breach of contract regarding the web series Titan's Grave, The Ashes of Vulcana. Wheaton claims he was hired to write, create, uh, executive produce and host the series on Legendary Geek & Sundry, and the promised payment was $50,000 and 50% of the net profit of the series. Now, Legendary, Geek, and Sundry had exclusivity rights to the project regarding promotion and distribution. However, according to Will Wheaton, uh, Legendary, Geek, and Sundry was supposed to consult meaningfully with him when promoting and distributing, but they apparently negotiated agreements with Hulu, Pluto TV, and Sinclair Broadcasting without him being informed. Will Wheaton's kind of suggesting that Legendary may have collected a great deal of, of fees a great deal of money from that and believes he's due his share but legendary has refused his requests to audit their books and he is seeking a hundred thousand dollars in damages and a court order for a, a full audit basically well, yeah wow i mean i i won't lie i it means we'll never see another series of will weaken's tabletop which is something that got me very into board games in in uh at the early times that's a small thing don't worry
1: i mean for a while there was a thing called the tabletop effect which was basically a board games featured on tabletop would see massive spikes in sales so oh. they were very mm. influential on in the board game community in general
2: yeah it's a real shame it worked out this way isn't it yeah it's, it's, yeah. it's just a bit disappointing isn't it oh, can i just say that his his contract is fantastic 50 percent no. i wish i had contracts <laughs> like that <Yeah.
1: laughs> Well, whilst Jamie is covering the sort of legal aspects of brainwaves, I cover the sort of mergers and acquisitions and that kind of thing. It says on my my badge and everything... And we've got a new one that Genius Games have acquired Artana. Now, Genius Games are the makers of Cytosis and Periodic Game of the Elements, which Jamie and I played at UK Games Expo this year and quite enjoyed. They basically produce um, STEM-focused board games. That's science, technology, engineering and mathematics board games and books about different concepts of science. And I played a couple of their games. They're very popular at the Juniper Green board game group I go to, which is full of families and children. Artana produces historical and technological-focused games like Lovelace and Babbage and Tesla vs. Edison, War of Currents. Genius Games CEO and founder John Caviu, who was the guy who demoed Periodic to us, I later realized, yep. uh, says, Artana is a perfect strategic acquisition for us. Like Genius Games, they specialize in telling stories about the real world. In Artana's case, exploring topics in history as well as science and technology. Our science-focused games have proven a hit in both casual gaming as well as academic and educational settings, and Artana's varied catalogue expands and enhances this appeal. The two companies are a natural fit. Artana's branding will continue, and they'll still publish games under their focus of history and technology. But yeah, we're just seeing more of this, as we've talked about before in the cast. As board gaming grows, we're seeing companies coming together to get a bigger sort of presence at cons and uh, in distribution that kind, of thing. Have you ever thought about doing something like that yourself, Robbie? With, uh, with, with peculiarity as, as you get bigger and you put more games out,
2: it's definitely something to consider. I mean, uh, as you know, I'm just a one man band, sort of uh, in, enjoying the ride. But eventually, it's going to, it's going to probably get too big for me. Even like UK Games Expo this year was far too big for me to manage by myself. Yeah. So I'm going to have to start thinking about hiring a crew for next year. Yeah. So that's, that's new to me.
0: Pokemon cards have been something of a resurgence of the past couple of years. And many people might be thinking, you know, I might have some Pokemon cards from when I collected them quite a while ago, 20 years ago almost, sitting around somewhere. Well, you might want to have a look at them. Just check the quality. Because recently, a complete set of 103 Pokemon cards from the first generation of the Pokemon trading card game went under the hammer at auction and sold... For £88,000, that is 107010 US dollars. That's pretty spectacular. And the value of the set is is pretty noteworthy because all the cards of that collection were rated by Golden Auctions, the the auctioneers. Uh, The condition they were rated was Gem Mint 10, which is pretty much perfect. Not pretty much, not even pretty much. Perfect condition. Someone opened up
1: Pokemon cards, however many years ago it was now, put them in like the best protection they could, and then never touched them ever again. Pretty much.
2: So they didn't wrap them in sellotape to protect them? No.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sticky side out, I hope. Nor did they laminate them, which my work is doing to protect them. This collection has one of every type of energy card, one of every type of trainer card, and all the holographic, or as we know them, shiny cards, including the famous shiny Charizard, one of which, which in mint condition, sold for eight thousand eight hundred pounds by itself in November two thousand and sixteen. Wow! You think, yeah, exactly. that's a lot of money. Ca- that is a lot Gosh. of money to catch them all. That is, exactly, and apparently, um, according to golden auctioneers. That value for even that Charizard card uh, has has increased dramatically. I think the interest, the the massive uh, resurgence in it, has about more people looking for it, and the value has has gone up, it seems. Um, But in the description of the set for the sale, uh, Golden has started comparing the trading card game's value to famous examples of, for example, sports trading cards some argue that it will become as important to modern collecting as the 1986-87 Fleer basketball set or the 1909-11 T206 white border insert set. Now, I'm not going to lie. I have no idea what any of that means. But it is crazy to think of that the first generation of cards from 1999, which is only 20 years ago, if it, Mm -hmm. you know, in great condition, is worth over $100,000
2: yeah I mean oh, I gave all mine to my niece <laughs> two years ago.
1: <laughs> I mean, we were talking just before we came on the cast that I sold a copy of Chaos in the Old World a few years ago before it spiked in popularity with Eric Lang doing all the Simon games and yeah, I missed out on some money there, but yeah, I wasn't playing the thing but yeah yeah it's it, it's really interesting to see a more sort of collector's mentality in there I mean i I don't really have that mentality with games i I buy games to play, but I can totally understand someone. Seeing a market for that and investing in like the current set of magic, for instance, and then waiting five, ten years and selling it at a massive profit because it's become a collectible thing. Then by then it's no longer available, and people really want those things. I can absolutely see someone investing in it like they would invest in gold futures or similar for their retirement. Mm. And there's been, we've reported on the cast a couple of times about black lotuses from the the original oh, yes. magic gathering set selling for astronomical amounts of money and there had been literal murders over those things
2: I'm pretty sure my friends have one wow they collected from the very beginning they've got everything in a folder I'm pretty sure they got got just the one black letters
1: they should maybe sell that Sorry, where do they live? <laughs> just, just out of curiosity. Ian, 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 leave completely it completely aside. Ian,
0: leave it, leave it, leave it. What? Leave it.
1: I'm, I'm merely curious.
0: Hmm.
2: Hmm.
0: Welcome, welcome, one and all, to the brainstorm debating hall. Now, from time to time, us at Brainwaves, we like to come here to discuss hot-button issues, interesting thoughts, or curious questions about the tabletop hobby. And this week, where well, we've got a... I won't lie to you, it's a little bit of a heavy one. Now, as we keep saying, the world of board gaming is growing at a almost an exponential rate, and with that growth comes an exploration of themes that some may consider outside the norm. Games such as... Uh, Colonialism, uh, heavily involving slavery, heavily heavily involving wars, heavily involving conflicts that may still be fresh in people's minds as they were either part of or were privy to the conflict. The question is is it time for tabletop gaming to move on from replicating conflicts, uh, some of which are still very much in the memory of a lot of people? Now, this came from a New York Times article. That was posted uh, around the beginning of August. And the title was, Should Board Gamers Play the Roles of Racists, Slavers, and Nazis? And was predicated for the cancellation of the GMT game Scramble for Africa, which I believe we did cover. Which was about various countries trying to colonize Africa and the issues thereof. Okay. <laughs> I understand this is very Too heavy. heavy.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: So when is it okay and when, is, when isn't
1: it? Yeah, basic, that's that's basically what we were doing. We've been sort of thinking about talking about this subject for a little while uh, as more and more games come out. For instance, Undaunted Normandy came out recently and it's been getting really good reviews from people I really respect, like Matt Thrower. And it sounds like a game that's up my street. It's a sort of deck building kind of game, but the deck also, uh, you're also got a little board with uh, your troops moving around that and your deck sort of dictates what you can do on the board. And as... Uh, Soldiers die, cars come out. You can recruit more into, it etc. So it sounds quite cool. Mechanically, it sounds very interesting. I am uncomfortable with the theme personally, like things World War Two themes, which I think are still pretty recent history. Really, I'm uncomfortable with playing games about that. I, I don't think they're disrespectful, just but personally, I feel uncomfortable about that. I've played things like Twilight Struggle, for instance, and I found that quite an interesting game. And it did teach me some stuff about the conflict. So there's definitely an argument that these games can teach you about what happened in those conflicts and what happened in history. But could you just read a book instead?
2: Yeah, the game shouldn't really be teaching you about history of such an important magnitude of space. I think it can
0: Um, help. Yeah, it can. And it can help bolster some knowledge that may be, you know, either hard to find or. Some more vague.
1: I had a vague understanding of the Cold War, but the sort of nuances of events and or events and nuances and that kind of thing, I didn't really know a huge amount about. And I, I did learn some stuff through the flavor text that was on some of the cards.
0: Hmm. I mean, we are you know to quote some kind of classic and maybe not so classic examples. You know, we've mentioned uh, we mentioned Scramble for Africa, the GMT game, uh, a game that is a very famous game that's just getting a, a reprint, I believe. Uh, Puerto Rico. Uh, which involves a which is a piece called you know, brown pieces called colonists.
1: Yeah, see, this one really annoy. This one actually bugs me quite a lot because they're about to re release Puerto Rico in a deluxe edition, like with all the expansions and everything like that. Fine, the game's some parts of that are hard to get. Good to see them re releasing it. You could maybe fix that particularly controversial part of it whilst you're there, but I don't think they have.
2: No, no, it's a, it's an odd one. It's like this. It's actually a really nice game. Uh, like mechanic, mechanically, is it's fun. It's very tight. It's always a close game. Especially if you've got four people that know, or even five, I think, uh know how to play it really well. It's always a really close game, which is great. It means the mechanics are fantastic. But it it could easily have another skin.
1: Indeed, I mean, and like Five Tribes, for instance, the original first version of Five Tribes had slaves in it as well. And then they became Fakirs or something like that in the next versions, but basically not slaves. Yeah. Because people went, eh, this isn't okay.
0: I mean, mm. you can look at games, for example, just looking at the article again, um, the famous or infamous, depending on how you look at it, game called Train by mm. Brendan Romero, yeah. which you know has been dubbed the board game no one wants to play more than once, which is a game about trains and then I don't really want to spoil it, but it gets dark very quickly. Let's let's put it that way.
1: I mean, I, I think we need to spoil it a little bit. Effectively, it's a game about the transporting people to concentration camps.
2: Oh, okay.
1: She she made that game very specifically to teach sort of a historical lesson about that particular period of time. And so I'm really interested in that kind of thing, like using the gaming medium to. Transmit messages to transmit sort of um, ideas and and to come outside the sort of what we traditionally think of as the sort of fun of board games. That that kind of stuff's really interesting. Like um, things like Fog of Love are quite interesting to me because they're not they don't sit quite in that in that sort of like it's just a laugh kind of area of of entertainment. Yeah. I mean, would you ever be tempted yeah. to tackle sort of like a controversial subject matter, Robbie, in one of your games, or do you quite like keeping things? fighter
2: <laughs> no well, i think it's a short answer fair enough
1: um... i mean i've never i've never been tempted myself in any of my own amateur designs i tend to stay away from that kind of thing
2: even though it's uh i mean it must be very hard to make games that have that, that sort of border that sort of line mm. and i don't think i'd want to I, I quite like making things that are fun yeah <laughs> just, just because they're fun and silly or because I mean, if there's conflict, it's it's between sprites and dragons and or two gnomes. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't I don't think I'd ever cover cover that. But it's interesting about the Second World War stuff because it is very recent history and is it being desensitised because it's just kind of everywhere now. Um, like games like uh, Secret Hitler um, or uh, the re reprinting of Escape from Colditz. Yeah, it's they're they're nice games, but did they really need? I mean, Secret Hitler has had other skins. I mean, you have got the Harry Potter version, which is fantastic.
1: Yeah, Secret Hitler, I think, is an interesting example because it 100 percent did not need to be called that. Yes. And the only reason it is called that is because the Cars Against Humanity guys like to put their finger in fire.
2: Yes. Yeah. 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 And it and it did really well for
1: them. Yeah, it did. It did amazingly well.
0: You know, we we can sit there and go, well, you know, it's it's a difficult it's a difficult situation. You know, these these topics are ones we have to address with care. And you look at some games like Secret Hitler, which go, yep, Hitler, Hitler's in it, they're Nazis, or fascists, sorry, not Nazis, fascists. On you go.
1: There's the poppy side of that as well. So, for instance, we all, like, most people love Indiana Jones. He punches Nazis a lot. The Nazis are the bad guys, but we don't see the actual badness. They're just, you know, they're the bad guys because they're Nazi. Because they're Nazis.
0: Yeah. Yeah. In Indiana Jones, they're also not that bright either. No, there's that as well. Yeah, again, there's also that light of, as you said, it's looking it through the pulp filter. Mm. Yeah. Um, But Um, uh, I'd like to ask just a very quick question, because just uh, an example. mm -hmm. I have in my games collection a copy of the game Sekigahara. Now, it's a GMT game about um, the Battle of Sekigahara in about 1600 or so, which is the final conflict in the Sengoku Jidai Warring States period of Japan. Ask. I'm just asking you, in. this doesn't have to go in, but uh, no. is this, you know, how would how would you feel about that? Or, Robbie, how would you kind of feel about that? Playing as a game, yes, it's got nothing, nobody is alive today that actually experienced that battle. Of oh, that, we can be certain yeah. of. Yeah. But it remains a fact that it, it happened.
1: I kind of want to play, I do kind of want to play that game, have to be said. Partly because it's beautiful looking. I mean, it's a beautiful looking thing. And apparently it's quite good. It is. I do feel funny about playing games that are actual historical battles.
2: That's what I, that's what I was just going to bring up, actually, like uh, war games. So uh, Confederates, if it, if he's going to redo the Confederate war, I mean, obviously you're, you're playing both sides and you're both playing to win. Yeah. I mean, is it okay that you win? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, is it okay it's if a, the battle you're basically goes? basically fighting for slavism. Yeah, uh, not slavery. Fighting for the slave trade. It's like, no, you can't take these people away from us. Through. We bought them, so they're ours, and we're going to fight for them. Yeah. And it's like, what, actually, mm. what
1: are you talking about, Robbie? That was definitely not about slavery. Definitely not. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's it's a fair point. Like if you're if you're fighting if you're playing the Confederates, yeah, that's a completely fair comment. It's
2: it's a it's an odd one because people love playing. And the, or recreating these uh, famous battles. Yeah,
1: and there's loads of games like that. Loads of
2: them. Uh, again, you could go back to cowboys versus Indians as well. I mean, is that okay? Mm. It's yeah.
1: Yeah, I think it's one of those things that as the board game as the board game community becomes bigger, as we like want to attract more people to the hobby, it's one of those questions we're starting to ask of ourselves. And I think it's good. It's happening. Uh, like journalistic sites like ourselves, podcasts like this, other people are starting to ask more critical questions of, is it okay for us to do this? Rather than just, like, 10, even 10, 15 years ago, saying, yeah, whatever, doesn't matter, there's stuff. Because we're, because everything was so niche then. And as we grow, as we're bringing in more people, as we're bringing in the public more to the hobby, that question needs asked more, like, is the portrayal of women in this game okay? Is the fact yeah. that Puerto Rico still has little brown cubes as colonists, in in air quotes, is that okay? These things need asked, and it's good that we're having these kind of conversations. And we should keep having those conversations. If we stop having those conversations, I think that's the warning sign that something's badly wrong.
0: If the board game community wants to continue to call itself open, welcoming, inclusive, we need, we need we need to, we need to back it up instead of just going, "Yep, we're inclusive, yeah. we're opening and open and welcoming," and just keep because yeah. there's no point. That is true,
2: and I think there's a lot. Of- because it's getting bigger, there's a lot more voices out there now as well, and people are getting more confident in actually airing their concerns. Yeah. So if you have a a warrior, a female warrior that's wearing a bikini armor, someone's going to go, "Whoa, hang on a minute, yeah, that's that's not quite right." Yeah, can we not? If you're going to have female warriors, make them look like warriors. Hmm. In a really simple thing, I, I put uh, one of the first iterations I had of uh, the gnome character uh, had a, a, a like a sleeve, a tattoo sleeve. Yeah. I didn't realise that tattoos are a part of uh, Japanese underground.
0: Yes, yakuza
2: crime. Yeah, yeah, the crime syndicates. So, and someone said you can't do that. It's like, well, it all, technically, he's not allowed a beard either. But <laughs> but he's a gnome. I can't make him take his beard off. But uh, I was like, I listened to what people said. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I'll, take, I'll just take the tattoo off. It's not really it didn't really affect me. But um, you have to listen to what people's concerns are.
0: So, we have almost come to the end of another wonderful audio adventure on Brainwaves. But before we go, well, I wouldn't leave you without some Monopoly news. And today we have a double header. And not only that, Ian is going to be doing one of the Monopoly newses. Yay! Last year, we covered a series of board games being released by Hasbro that were considered parody, in air quotes, games of their. Famous board game lines, for example, Game of Life Quarterlife Crisis, uh, Botched Operation, Mystery Date, Catfished, etc. Um, however, this is now a second generation of games, of the, the parody, again, air quotes, coming out, called Monopoly Socialism. Winning is for capitalists. The game promises a hilariously adult twist. Work together or not, the adult party edition of Monopoly uh, sorry, has players moving around the board, contributing to community projects unless they can steal projects to get ahead. You can contribute to a community fund, unless you choose to deplete it. Consid- I've heard enough. This sounds awful. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. <laughs> it, it... It annoys me a little bit, because it seems to be that very snide kind of yeah humour. Now, I, it doesn't sound like there's much humour in there, but they've also included lines. Now, I will state right now, the only place I could find this, and it is for sale, is the... Is on Target, uh, the American site Target, or Target's
1: getting a lot of exclusives from various board game companies right now. It's it's all I could find. So this must have
0: stuff I found about it, but it was mentioning things in the product details of things like, uh, oh, cooperation isn't always what it's cracked up to be, or you know, if the community fund in the game runs out, everyone loses. And the next sentence is so much for a socialist utopia. I I could be you know seen as being a bit of a whinging lefty, and please I. am I'm lefty and I I whinge about things but it seems like it's being that very snide oh look we're being so funny aren't we because you know socialism oh what a crazy yeah. idea and then you could look at the historical implications of monopoly itself and then it just it falls apart and you know what I'm letting you know it exists so you can avoid it ian onto onto funnier better monopoly news
1: Well, if you want to try capitalism, then we suggest that you try and follow the examples of two 18-year-old Irish holidaymakers in Magaluf who are arrested after trying to pay a bar bill with Monopoly money. Unsurprisingly, they were drunk. Uh, They allegedly found the Monopoly banknotes on the floor of the Magaluf-Punta Bolina bar they were in. They had apparently been used as part of a promotional event earlier in the evening. Uh, They were charged with minor fraud... (laughs) which is a, what, then released on bail. Monopoly money is not real money, folks, just in case you're unaware. But yeah, brilliant. Good. It's a brilliant good, story. Good, good try, guys. You know, I'm, well done. I'm,
0: I'm sure our listeners are very well-educated, lovely people who listen to high-quality podcasts. But, you know, sometimes it just needs to go without saying.
1: I'm going to try taking my Lords of Vegas money to Tabletop Scotland and see what
0: happens. Oh, Ian, are you going to Tabletop Scotland? <laughs>
1: I am going to Tabletop Scotland, and that's on the 24th and 25th of August. Good segue, by the way. Uh, (laughs) uh, That is on the 24th and 25th of August. This cast will be going out on the 19th 19th of August. Uh, Jamie and I will be there. I will be on the playtest zone all day on the Saturday, wrangling people to help out the many designers that are there. And I will be free as a bird on the Sunday. So come and play games with me. Uh, Jamie will be stabbing me in the back. And uh, working with the Unlucky Frog.
0: Ian, you are so dramatic, it's unbelievable. Yes, I will be there. I will be flying two flags. I'll be flying the flag of brainwaves, but I will also be helping out our erstwhile compatriots, the Unlucky Frog. I'll be helping uh, to run some of the seminars that are going to be going on. And there are quite a lot of seminars, and they sound very varied, very interesting, and very fun. If you do come to Tabletop Scotland please seek us out. Say hello. We love meeting people who actually listen to us. We're still very
1: surprised that that happens. Yes. Uh, And we'd like to thank especially the folks that follow us around. The Lucky Sparrow Gaming Cafe are our executive producers. They are very generous every month with their donations and you should go and check them out if you're in Glasgow. It's a great little cafe and we will hopefully be seeing them at Tabletop Scotland. And we have recently actually hit our first goal on our Patreon. So we are hit $20 a month, which effectively means that the cast and website are now self-sustaining, which takes a little bit of financial pressure off myself. So thank you so much for everyone who follows the cast, shares us around, and especially thank you to all our patrons who give us a bit of cash. And you can join them by giving us only $1 a month, for which you will get an extended version of the cast. And looking at our current running time, this cast is going to be super extended. And So yeah, you'll get an extended version of the cast for only $1 a month. And for $2 a month, you will also get our sister cast, which is a patron exclusive, which is myself, Jamie, and a guest chatting about the games we have played recently called Idle Thoughts. And if you'd like to join the executive producer level, you'll get some merch from us as and when we produce that. That's $5. You can check that out on our Patreon. Robbie, thank you so much for joining us on this week's Brainwaves. We've had a, some good discussions of, of some of well, the heavy variety. Me. But yeah, thanks very much for coming along. Where can people find you, your games, and that kind of thing on the interweb?
2: Well, on uh, Facebook, it's Peculiarity UK um and the website is peculiarity.co.uk if you want to send me an email you're very welcome to peculiarityuk at gmail.com um, my twitter and instagram i'm still using my uh, original name so the one that i've been using for ages so i talk about games i talk about stuff i find i talk about family life beer cheese usual sort of stuff <laughs> so twitter and instagram you can find me under Gumley.
1: excellent and sumo gnomes will be hitting kickstarter sometime in september
2: yeah, looking at, say, I'm hoping, so the The last week of the Kickstarter will cover Essen, mm. so it's going to be about four, three, four weeks before that.
1: That's great. Cool. And you can read uh, my own review of that up on the Giant Brain right now. It's excellent, and you should
0: check it out when it hits Kickstarter. Also, if you are going to Essen, uh, why don't you say hello to Robbie?
2: Hey, <laughs> Yes, please do. I'll be in Hall 2 uh, with the Laser Rocks crew, showing off sumo names.
1: Well, it'll be an adventure, I'm sure. I've always wanted to go to Essen, and maybe one year we'll go. Anyway, thank you very much for listening, everyone. If you like what you've listened to, then the best way to help us out, as always, is just to share the podcast around. And if you've got the time, please do drop us a review and rating on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. And you can follow us on Twitter at the Giant Brain, our Instagram is giant brain UK. Facebook, just search for the giant brain, we are on there, and our website is giantbrain.co.uk, and you can also find some of my writing on There Will Be Games these days as well. And if you'd like to email us about anything in the show, if you've got anything to say about any of the topics we've covered or some news bits and pieces you'd like to share with us it's giant gmail.com thank you very much for coming along robbie we really appreciate it thank you for having me and uh thank you for all listeners bye bye